0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fiscal Frisk. I'm your host, Zach Hunter. Big shout out goes to Chase Drew for the intro music. Chase is a London musician, so if you like that song, make sure you go check out all of his music on all streaming platforms now. As always, I have my co anchor beside me, Devin. Devin, how are you today? I'm doing great. We had a nice early workout today. Yes. And the weather is finally starting to. We're getting around the bend, you know. We're getting around the bend. Devin specializes in the healthcare industry and hosts his own podcast called the Health Science Podcast, so make sure you go check that out. If you're new to the podcast, here's what we do. We review and break down literature relating to fiscal and or monetary policy, and the goal is to make the paper understandable for you guys. Devin's just here to act on behalf of as a non-expert in the policy field, and we'll seek clarification when needed, and just to keep me on track, because I like to ramble. Cool today we're adding on to our last conversation that we had about the public sector uh, if you want to listen to that podcast uh, it has a lot of the definitions and the background information that will be needed to understand this paper so make sure you go check that one check out it first. out and that's again that's just to make this episode a little bit easier to follow and understand uh, the paper that we're going to be looking at today is the the public services an important driver of canada's economy with the goal to show the importance of the public sector for um like canada's economic growth and why we've done so well so let's just dive right in so i'm going to start off with a question for you Devin. so do you think canada has an increase or decrease in public spending as a percentage of gdp from the 60s to the 90s or the 90s to the like now i probably based on world events i'd say 90s to now we've increased spending you would think so right just because of, again, the way that politics are going, like the rise of like, um, neoliberalism and like, uh, just like the way of public spending and the view of the eye of the people, increase in EI, social welfare, that type of stuff, yeah. you just assume higher spending. Um, so they start off with a graph that showed the spending on federal government programs as a percentage of GDP between the 60s and the 90s, so 1966 to 1995. And it has got up to as high as 20% of GDP. And again, that kind of makes sense because back in those days, like between the 60s and 90s, Canada was not on, like had the biggest GDP and we're on the rise from a developed, like to a developed country. Yeah. So it makes sense that the government would have to intervene a little bit more and have to spend more money. But what I thought was really interesting was post 1996, uh, it actually stayed very... Consistent between twelve and sixteen percent, which is relatively low, hmm. which I found even very with two thousand eight. like yeah. didn't even they with, spend like crazy? Even with that, well, wow. again, they also cut fifteen thousand uh, public yeah. sector jobs to kind of offset that. So Balanced it out. It did uh, okay. balance it out, but it, it stayed pretty constant. So the authors made a statement uh, saying that the research pres- uh, presented shows that the public spending is not a waste of resources, and a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Public sector spending is a good investment in our economy. It stimulates economic growth and it helps employment. So let's go in and figure out why that's so.
1: Uh, I want to, sorry, just, I mean, if people hadn't listened to the last one Mm -hmm. really briefly, it's just private is is privately owned businesses. Public is just stuff that the government owns, right? Correct. Okay, just just so (laughs) if they haven't listened to that, they can at least kind of follow
0: along. Yeah, so we're just looking directly the the difference between the public sector and the private sector, Um, again, the last episode we talked about the limitations and the positives of public sector. So again, uh, education, healthcare, those sorts of jobs, uh, in compared to private.
1: And like us city job.
0: Yeah. We love all the different city <laughs> jobs. Okay. So the first important note is that the government, because it is technically the biggest business because of the capabilities that a government has, has the power, and the, author, the authors say have the responsibility to create positive feedback loops to create sustainable economic growth that benefit all citizens. Again, if you have a country and you're the government that owns that country, well, like obviously you're in the country, you, it should be in the best interest of the government to create growth that benefits all citizens. Yeah. So makes sense. You'd hope so,
1: unless it's crooked government. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that sounds, that's straightforward.
0: Yeah. And the next point is they wanted also to shift the, uh, they wanted to highlight the shift in policymaking in Canada because of where Canada was, like we said, between the 60s and 90s. uh, They really controlled the stimulation of supply and the control of inflation. That was just to get them uh, like to increase trade better off Canada directly. And then as we can see, it has now turned into uh, like global demand, full employment, those type of policies. So just kind of like the shift in um, policymaking. Uh, this is obviously because of globalization and free trade has become very important on the global scale. So these policies have become more relevant than past.
1: Yeah, they're they're reflective of the
0: times. Yeah, um, and this just means that Canada has been more worried about uh, representing on a global scale than sometimes. Because of how developed we are, uh, they they make the conclusion that some we're worried more about trade than we are our own citizens. Sometimes, which is a bold statement. Yeah, <laughs> but I can understand why. Let's see the evidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the they say that it's destroying the middle class because inflation and cost of living has been increasing more than wages. Mm. The example that they give is the average debt in Canadian households has risen from 85% uh, in the 1990s to 175% in 2018. Just meaning that the average Canadian is just taking on almost three times as more debt to asset ratio. So like the the average Canadian Uh, has more debt. Than assets okay, as so of the,
1: 2018. That percent was relative to what they own, like yeah. their
0: assets. So they're borrowing more money than they got. Correct. Okay. And Which that is debt. <laughs> yeah. And then so that has destroyed the middle class. Okay. Uh, the, ne- the next graph, uh, they took the relationship of the the median revenue in each industry and the median revenue for all industries in Canada. So these salaries make it possible for workers to join the ranks of the middle class. So uh, I know that we said like that it's destroying the middle class, but the public sector is one of the only things that is actually keeping the middle class relevant and mm. actually able to exist. Okay. So on average, the government pays higher wages than the median. So the median includes uh, like private sector too. Yep. So education, 133%, so 33% more than in the private. Public administration, 149%, so 49% more. And utilities, uh, which are the three biggest for public sector jobs, 173, so 73% more. 73%? Yeah. Sheesh. I need that kind of raise. Exactly. (laughs) Well, this is just the median, right? Yeah. And they said that this is because of um, the higher education um, that's needed in the public sectors usually and private sectors. Uh, they just make the conclusion that you wouldn't need the type of education as the public. Interesting. Like, like from,
1: I don't yeah. know, from my perspective, it's like, you know, the government, as far as employing people, if their purpose is to employ people mm-hmm. versus a, a company, a privately owned company would be to make money. You think that they would be demanding more educated
0: people than, the public sector stuff would and i like i thought it was a very bold claim too and i'll just talk about it from a personal experience is i come from a family of social workers and my dad only has his social work from fanshaw and in the same workplace that he's been in for 20 years um, it's increased it's a government workplace yeah. where That no longer suffices as adequate education. You need your master's of social work now. Oh, so that's almost a a very big increase of education. That also is because of a whole bunch of different factors. But that's that's
1: one of the. That's the minimum. So, like they're basically saying, like you got to get a master's, or you're not even. Yeah, you're not even considered. So they've just changed the bar. Instead of instead of attracting more qualified people, they just said you got to be qualified. Exactly.
0: Okay. And. Uh, Another important factor of the public sector, sorry, I should have highlighted this earlier, is the whole first part of this paper is more of the descriptive, and we'll get more into the graphs as later as we go on with actual evidence and the impact of GDP. They're just talking about the importance of the public sector, uh, just not numbers-wise. Okay. Uh, The next point that they go on is the public sector is economic resilience through diversity. So this is just a fancy way of saying, how can the economy resist uh, crises and disturbances? Crises, right? That's the right yeah, word. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just want to, it sounded good. Wanted to make sure it was good. So the main takeaway from this point is that the public sector is the most stable sector in periods of economic turbulence. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Private companies, you know, even if you look at COVID and the pandemic going on right now what's the only thing that's keeping us from a recession is the government because the government is all and they have on technically an unlimited supply of money through printing money and raising taxes. So they are the most stable Uh, and it may even grow during economic hardships. So the government can work as instead of having to pay out money for additional programs, it actually acts already as an automatic stabilizer for the economy. Mm. Because if you, if you look um, right now, the government has is spending so much money trying to bail out private companies, private businesses, and because of the economic hardship, um, if they were already employed by the Canadian government, it's already a stabilizer for the economy and we wouldn't need those additional programs or that additional spending.
1: Yeah, they just have their job
0: still because they're you're already employed for it. Yeah. So just saying that the bigger the, the public sector is, is it doesn't, we wouldn't need those additional programs because we'd already, everyone would be employed already. Yeah. So now let's look at the scale of the public sector yeah, in the Canadian economy. Uh, they showed a graph of the current expenditures and investment made by the public sector in proportion of GDP from 1981 to 2017. So it just was a bar graph and it had the expenditures and the investments mm-hmm. kind of compared to each other uh, in different sectors. It shows that spending in the sectors have been reduced by five percent of GDP over nineteen eighty one to two thousand seventeen. So they're spending less on those programs, which you know five percent of GDP is quite a lot. Yeah, it's a decent chunk of change. And the most important on the uh, most important part of the graph is there's two bumps in investments. So they're investing a lot of money into sectors. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 90s in 2008, which was the dot-com bubble and the Great Recession of 2008. So these are when economic hardships hit Canada. So actually Canada's best time in investments and they're actually not ex, like the expenditure wasn't super high was in actual times of economic hardships, which I thought was very interesting. Mm. Like it was counter cyclical. So when t- times were bad, government did better Yeah, in their investments. Interesting.
1: But that's, I, I just know anecdotally that Canada did well, at least in the 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense
0: that, The numbers reflect that they made some good choices and investments, right? Yeah. Um, That's a good point. They go on to look at the evolution of the jobs in the public sector and the total number of jobs in Canada from 1976 to 2017, and it followed, like, the expenditure graph pretty much to a T, which is no surprise. Uh, The money that they're spending is mostly on wages, so... Again, like there, there was peaks in the time of economic hardship and usually the public sector makes up about 20% of all of the jobs in Canada. So again, like it's super, it's high, but I don't really have a comparison. I don't have the numbers on me right now, but it's a lot less than I know. Some of the Nordic countries are up to 30 and 40%. Yeah. But 20% is still a large part of your citizenships, like citizens to be a part of the public sector. Yeah.
1: That seems pretty large. Yeah,
0: but again, if you look at Via Rail, Canada Post, uh, the three level, levels of government. So like you have like your federal, provincial, municipal. Everyone that's within that, like that is a huge chunk of people that yeah. is employed by Canada. Yeah, and that's not even thin, like that's just off the top of my head. There's probably so many different other I ones. I mean, right? Ontario, Ontario, the LCBO is one of their best yeah, LCBO, money making right? machines, yeah. right? So they go on and compare the private sector to the public sector, and they compared the annual variation, and variation just means like, uh, employ like how they defined it was employment versus unemployment. So if they had to fire people or they had to cut jobs because of economic hardships, that type of stuff, um, and they did that from 1977 to 2018. And of course this just so like to further prove their last point about the stability of the public sector is the private sector went uh, underwent way more significant variations than the public sector. And we can see like, again, during those economic crises and the hardships, the public sector actually was more stable than um, how, even when the private sector, when we weren't in economic hardships. That's
1: where the, the public sector is more stable in economic hardship than private sector was in non-economic hardship. Yeah. Hmm. Jeez. Do you think that has something to do with like in economic hardship, people just kind of have to trust the government more to make those decisions. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. People put their trust in the, in the, in the public sector because everyone just kind of expects, Oh, my investments are going to go down. Well, and the private sector,
0: right. And if you just go back to like bare necessities, Um, And you made a really good point about the LCBO like what what company do you think is making a lot of money right now? Because of the pandemic is the LCBO (laughs) (laughs) You know as much as we don't want to say it they're making a killing right now, right? So a lot of the government ran um, Programs actually do a lot better in economic hardships because they tend to be uh, the necessities, right? And like a Canada post even right now is making an absolute killing because everyone's getting stuff sent to their house. Yeah. So it's actually making a lot more money right now. And I think another huge part of it is just, again, um, the public sector and I feel like people like the government more in economic hardships and like that might be a bold statement, but you know, the government is helping Uh, with like huge like bailouts like i said programs so people tend to you know be more favorable of the government when they're actually being benefited which Uh, makes sense in in a lot of cases if
1: you're out of work like you you have to you don't really have a choice right i mean people got families to feed right Mm -hmm. and if the government can step in yeah that's
0: that's the road you got to take right yeah and then now let's go on to the biggest part of the paper and it is the economic impact of the canadian public spending which i thought you know just the preconceived notion is that governments are not efficient governments do not know how to spend money (laughs) no (laughs) pretty much like they just like you know like you know we've all heard of those notions before everyone's like oh like the government doesn't know how to spend money oh the government uh sectors like the public servants get paid way too much, like that type of stuff, right? So <laughs> this is this is some real good information here. So get your pens and papers out, everyone. Uh, like Dr. Zach's here, <laughs> like oh schools in session. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the first point that they make is jobs in the public sector can provide support for regional and provincial uh, economies. So this is a really important point that I wanted to highlight was... If you look at provinces' GDPs for provinces that say like Alberta or um, even Manitoba, who where their job sectors are very specific and narrow, like so it may be like farming, um, natural resource extraction, that type of stuff. That is very specific, and a huge portion of the job force is those sectors. So if those sectors were to go through an economic hardship, it all goes to crap, right? Yeah, it's like like
1: an investor said, don't put your eggs in one basket. It's almost like they kind of have that situation with
0: just jobs. Mm -hmm. So the public sector, with them being able to reach those places and employ those people, Again, it's the whole idea of diversification, and your whole like because again, if all countries are just based off oil and oil's negative right now still, they're not making money, people are getting laid off it you need fallbacks mm-hmm. so the the public sector is really good for diversifying.
1: yeah, that makes sense,
0: yeah again like you don't really think about it from like the province standpoint or like the city standpoint like i i always thought of it as a federal standpoint yeah and especially when we come from ontario which is has a very wide variety because again we have ottawa but we do have like plants like we have everything we do have like a wide variety of jobs yeah but if you think of those um provinces where like you know newfoundland and labrador where it's mostly fishing or like oil in alberta like it the whole province is based off one sector, which can be very scary and very volatile. And the whole point is just vol- volatility is very scary, especially during times because all it takes is bat soup. And bat soup.
1: <laughs> there we go. No, that's a good point to make with, with the, um, the regions, right? Cause mm-hmm. what you said there was, Hey, I only kind of thought about it nationally. Yeah, but Canada, you can't just paint it in one broad stroke. It's a big country. The regions are important. Yeah, Yeah. so
0: I'm glad you hit that point. And so the next graph that we're going to look at is they graph the portion of the value-added amount spent on wages and benefits by industries. So this refers to the effects of adding a product to a specific sector or withdrawing a product, and then they put it in a graph and they look at the additional value added. Um, So it just wanted to highlight, it's stable from the 80s in like the healthcare, social assistance, and um, it's 80% value added by adding an additional service or product. And like the lowest one is 10%, which is real estate and leasing. And that's still 10% value added for adding an additional service or a product to the public sector. So this just means overall that when you add something to the public sector. when the government does? Yeah. Okay. It tends to add value. And the minimum does has been 10%. It creates, creates that
1: positive feedback loop you're saying. Yeah.
0: Okay. By 10%, which I thought was like, you know, you always like i always thought like government jobs high wages like they're they aren't warranted because the value added like because of those inefficiencies but the, the actual need like they actually show by adding an additional service or adding those goods or services there is actually value to be added by adding it under the public instead of the private industry. So next time the government says,
1: Hey, we want to do this new program and people are like, shut it down. They don't know how to do that. It's it actually tends to be more
0: beneficial for the public to run it than a private business. Okay. Yeah. And then now on to the good stuff of looking just at the direct impact of the GDP. Now I just wanted to uh note it is hard to directly show the impact from the difference between the private side and the public side. But this is because they have very distinct types of effects a dollar spent on wages won't have the same impact as a dollar spent on machinery or like paid to a stockholder as a profit because as a private business you know you're really looking for stockholders profit where the public uh, the public sphere uh it's not necessarily about that profit it's about adding those services yeah so it's hard to compare apples and oranges right yeah yeah So what they did was they took different sectors and they added one additional dollar to get the direct effects of the base GDP. So the base GDP is they just calculated the year over year GDP and found a baseline GDP and added $1 for each sector to see um, the benefits that they would get in the public sector. So what they found was for every dollar spent like of the public sector, they received a dollar oh nine to a dollar is added to the national economy, hmm. which for that's pretty good. Like like this, just the whole point of this paper, I think, is just to reinforce that maybe the government is actually efficient and good with money. Yeah. So for them to spend one dollar, they're receiving a dollar a dollar cents. Percent, yeah. yeah, ten to tw- like almost thirty percent to the national economy. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um. So and then now not only um, So that's just the direct impact of adding an additional dollar But and not only is the public sector creating growth, but it's also creating jobs um, So the next thing that they took was uh, a graph And for every million dollars invested by uh, a sector They looked on how much how many jobs it can create And so they just took like the, how much, how big an industry was, how many people were in it. If they're invest to an additional million dollars, how many jobs would they receive out of it? And in Canada, because that's what we've been looking at for each million invested, uh, it creates about 10.31 jobs, which like, I don't really know what that means. (laughs) I, we can speculate, (laughs) but I I thought it was just important to know, like, you know, I feel like it's a decent amount. Yeah. (laughs) Cause if you look at it, like if you took like the average salary and like, if they invested a million dollars, like you're pretty much getting your money back within like a year of yeah. like that million dollars yeah. of like the in wages. So I thought, I thought, you know, just like just a return on investment. If you're making that money back within that year, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. So let's conclude this all together. We did some descriptive, we looked at some direct impact and let's just talk about what it means. So the data shows that expenditures and employment in the Canadian public sector demonstrates that this sector has always had a significant impact on the economy. As we said, because as policies have switched between the 60s to the 90s and then the 90s to now, uh, Canada has done a lot of, like a really good job of changing the public sector to make it efficient throughout all the years like we've changed dramatically mm-hmm. so you know uh, maybe it was really important for us to have that 20 percent between the 60s and 90s and then for it to decrease to the 12 to 16 percent um and maybe it was really important for us to gain that global sphere and um create the the jobs that was needed for uh global trade uh because we couldn't increase the public sphere like the public jobs as much right so I think it was really important to note, just kind of that Canada has done a really good job within that time period on creating a very sustainable and stabilizing public sector. And that spending in the public sector actually has a greater impact on employment and on GDP in provinces. And investing in these provinces would allow them to increase the resilience of that what we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. That it would actually prevent economic hardships or the impact there of them. So yeah, overall, great. yeah, I'd it's like, really cool. I'd
1: like to see if there's like kind of an optimal, and again, it would change depending on the times, but like how much of a public sector, say in a province would have to be present for it to minimize some of the damages to the private sector with economic hardship. Like yeah. how many jobs, how many government jobs should be put in Alberta, Yeah, right? Before before it uh, it does something bad in, when it comes to economic hardship. Like, could we is there like a, a bottom line that you could put that'd be kind of neat because yeah we can we can number, we can look into <laughs> this
0: in uh further episodes because that's the good thing that i like about these finance papers is you really like you can find those numbers like you can calculate those numbers too right like you can see you know if they're if you lose x amount of dollars the government needs to have x amount of jobs to recover from the loss right yeah yeah, so I thought this paper did a really good job of debunking some of the myths on the public sector because, you know, it's really hard because there's not a lot of people supporting the public sector and you don't really trust people in the public sector to be like, oh, we, like, because politicians and everything, a lot of people don't have faith <laughs> in politicians. So yeah, when they could. go, we're just like, oh, we're efficient, we're good with their money, but we don't have balanced budgets and like all that type of stuff. It's kind of hard for us to be like, we trust you. So I thought that this did a really good, uh, just objective job of debunking some of the myths. And I thought it was actually really cool that we actually get more value added. Uh, If if you remember from the last paper, we talked about sometimes if the government takes on too much, it becomes way too inefficient. And I thought it was interesting that this paper kind of had the opposite view of the government, at least in Canada, that us taking on more under the public sphere there's actually more value to be added than if it was in the private. Yeah, but you could argue
1: that it, it was good decision making to not take on too much, right? Like mm-hmm. there was an awareness of of what is too much, and then you would get into that shady region like
0: we discussed in the other paper, right? But it seems like they did a pretty darn good job. Yeah, so I think this is a good place to end. It was a great discussion, and again, I feel like these are very important conversations to have. Uh, do you have any final questions or comments?
1: No, good paper. Nice.
0: Perfect. So thanks everyone to listening to the fiscal frisk. I will leave the reference and my contact information in the description for you to explore and for any questions or concerns or studies and articles that you want us to cover next. As always, I'm your host, Zach Hunter, alongside Devin Box. Make sure to listen to his podcast, the Health Science Podcast, every Tuesday and Thursday. Stay safe and we'll see you next episode.